0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am one of your hosts, James, and with me is Joe. Good day, folks. And Chris. Hi there. And if you were an early listener of this podcast and heard about it, you remember we did a episode zero, which was our pilot episode that was like 10 minutes, and uh, we were just trying to get started, and I threw out the topic just to see what the podcast would be like of what were some TV pilots that we watched um, and didn't like, but ended up loving the show. Uh, so, so Chris, uh, you know, off off air, we were talking about this as expanding it to a wider wider scope of like things. We changed our mind in general in pop culture, um, and I didn't go back and look, but I actually think it was a New Year's suggestion from someone too that we talk about things. We changed our mind on or didn't necessarily I do like.
1: i think it was it actually might have been patrick but now i can't remember it sure. been I, think my might, brother. I think it might have been your brother because he had a, he yeah, had a couple of, of really really good suggestions about watching watching a thing we wouldn't normally watch and reacting to it that sort of thing so I, it might have come from patrick which by the way sp- you don't know who patrick is uh go back and check out our awesome halloween episodes
0: there you yes go. Last, last year's two-part halloween so um please check those out so so we're going to expand on that. So, Patrick, uh, thank you for the idea. Uh, and, and Chris, thank you for bringing it back up. So let's, let's revisit this. What are some things that we, we just changed our minds on? The first time we saw it, or not even saw it. We were resistant to it. And we came around, and it's one of the things we love. Um, you know, Chris, since it was, since it was your idea off here to revive this, um, why do not you kick us off? Sure.
1: Um, yeah, so, so it's one thing that I've mentioned, I know, a number of times in the past. And that was the expanse, which for anybody listening, you're like, Oh God, really? You're going to talk about this again? Only briefly, I <laughs> promise only briefly. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know, uh, the expanse is a TV show, uh, that was on sci-fi and then got picked up by Amazon prime. And, uh, and basically, um, it's based on, it's based on a series of books, series of now nine books. And that's, that's the completion though there are mm-hmm. some short stories thrown in there. And, uh, Going back, I guess, it would have been pre-pandemic, so I'm gonna guess like three years, um, that a friend of mine who I who I used to play Star Wars Armada with, uh, who I liked and we got along really well. We didn't spend any time together outside of playing Armada, but he said, Have you watched the Expanse? And I said, No. And usually when someone asks if I've seen watched a TV show, it's it's a simple yes or no, and like, ah, maybe I'll check it out. And that's usually how I leave it, because honestly, I don't watch, you know, ever since Eli was born outside of uh, our sort of our nesting period after he was born when Christina and I uh watched all the way through D S nine, just bang bang bang. Outside of that, I don't think... watch a ton of T V, um, because I'm usually out with Eli and and we're watching T V it's usually something, you know if he wants to watch or whatever. Um but he he then asked me again, Did you check it out? I was like, No, I haven't And he he just sort of kept harassing me about it. And this is not a guy who harassed me about anything. This is not the kind of guy who uh you know, as a DD player, always wanted to tell me about his character. Uh, you know, so it's not like he was constantly bugging me with with stuff. Um, so I finally just wanted to get, th- honestly, I just wanted to get him off my back. And I was like, yeah, fine, I'll, you know, I'll watch it. So I tried watching the first episode and I fell asleep. And I went back <laughs> and I tried again and I fell asleep again. And then I finally got through it and I was like, I'll give this one or two more episodes, but it's not really speaking to me. It's just, it's more politics and space. By the third. Somewhat through the second episode, but by the third episode, hooked, done. Uh, you know, I was I was all in, and uh, and I only just grew to love it more and more. I, I watched as much as I could, and then I was like, you know what, I'm gonna read the books, and I did. I I flew through them, and then before the last season came out, I reread them. Um, and so this was for me, this was a really good example of something that I anticipated not liking because, excuse me, I tend to be a contrarian, and when somebody pushes me hard on a thing, I usually push back. Excuse me. Um. And so I I it turns out that was a thing that I really, really loved. So it, it just got me thinking about, um, you know, there are ver- there are a variety of reasons we might push back on a thing or decide we're not gonna like it. Sometimes it may be the genre of something. So um so I'm not particularly despite, you know, Joe is Joe's patience in teaching me, you know, the Western genre doesn't appeal that much to me natively, right? Um so there's a board game called Great Western Trail. My friend wanted to play it. I'm like, eh, yeah, all right, I'll give it a shot. I ended up really enjoying it. It's a really, really strong game. It works well hand in hand with the theme. I don't have to like, love the archetype, the story archetype to, to really love the game. Um, so sometimes it's because we think we won't, we anticipate we won't like a thing. Sometimes it's because people push it too hard. Uh, everybody loved Harry Potter. So I, I avoided Harry Potter because everybody, everybody likes it. It's so mainstream that there's no way it's as good as people say it is. So it took me forever to get around to Harry Potter. And it turns out I really like Harry Potter. Um, my, all of my, my multitude of issues with J.K. Rowling aside, I love Harry Potter and the story and the uh, flaws and all. Um, so I think there are a number, that's one of the reasons I want to sort of get get into the topic was I'm always sort of interested as to why people change their minds about things. You know, things you thought you would dislike and turn that you do like or maybe you didn't like at some point. I mean, we've all done that with food. Uh, we've done that with drink. Yeah. Probably, you know, I, I, you know, younger being Italian, Joe, you know, all about this, you know, mm-hmm. wine comes with the holidays. Oh yeah. Um, You know, you drink, you drink wine. And so I never really thought much of drinking. I wasn't that interested in it because it was never kept from me. I could have wine with dinner and, and not a ton of it, obviously, but I could have a glass of wine. That was always more than enough. Um, So going into college, I liked to drink wine and I had no interest in beer, but then I discovered beer pong and went, <laughs> like throw the ball in the cup. That looks like fun. And I'm like, can I do that? I drink other than beer. And people are like, no, you gotta drink beer. That's why I started drinking beer was for beer pong. Um, <laughs> I, like I had that. no interest whatsoever in whiskey. It burned, it tasted like medicine. Why would I ever want that? Nice. It tastes like dirt. And, uh, you know, and then a friend of mine that I was living with at the time after college, he, uh, he decided to start having people over like once a month, try a uh, whiskey or two and he cooked food and he was a fantastic cook. So, I was there, and I was like, "All right, fine. Well, if I have to drink the whiskey, to eat the food, then that's what I'll do." And that started a, a long love affair, now uh, going on going on twelve years of me really enjoying whiskey, and that's usually my go to drink. So, you know, things things our tastes change for a variety of reasons. So, anyway, that's that's my very long and roundabout way of saying I'm always interested in not just what you're interested in now, but like what what surprised you, what caught you off guard, what was a thing you didn't think you'd like. But it turns out you did or at one point you didn't like and you came back to and went i don't know what i was thinking at the time or i do know what i was thinking at the time but it just it hits different now you know whether it's because i'm mm-hmm. older or parenthood or because of the field i work in or because of somebody i know like so that that all to me is is really interesting because it's personal history it's it's part of our personal story
0: no, that's great. Now I can't um, remember.
1: Is that what you asked, James, or did I just go off on a tangent? And just... <laughs> no, no, no,
0: it's asked. I I, I, threw, it oh, yeah. ask I threw it over to you. Threw it over to you. Yes, you, you did, and and you went above and beyond. So it's was uh, great. So it's oh, great. yeah,
1: right, right, So basically, James, you, right? You, yeah, you threw it to me. So so let me ask you both, and you can answer in in any order you want, and um and yeah, I'm interested in in TV shows, but uh but other things too, movies, books, um even if it's honestly, even if it's I know it's not quite pop culture, but even if it's food. Um, you know, share one or two things that you, that you, that for whatever reason, it turns out you unexpectedly, you ended up really enjoying and, um, and maybe a little bit of why, and maybe it's a little bit more of a superficial reason. Like I didn't understand, um, like, for example, we talked about this in the Ghostbusters episode. So there are a bunch of Ghostbusters jokes in the movies that, that I didn't understand when I was younger. And once I got older, that happened a lot with Spaceballs, right? I saw Spaceballs when I was younger. I didn't get stuff when I got older. I was like, "Ooh, that's why my parents didn't love me watching it." Got it. It says, "I bet she gives great helmet." I did not know what that meant at the time. I know what that means now. Uh, that is that is that is a hell of a joke. Um, so you know, like, so maybe it's a superficial thing—is that you can appreciate it more now, or maybe it's maybe it has more meaning to you. So, so what do you guys think? Like, what you, what have you what have you come around on?
0: Well, I'll, Joe, if you don't mind, I'll just kick off some of Go ahead. my thoughts. Um, This is one, and Chris, you'll remember this from the Min condition days. Like, I did not like Superman. Like, I just... (gasps) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I was a big, big Batman guy, which I'll talk some more about that in this episode, possibly. But uh, yeah, I just, like, I... You know, because I was such a Batman backer and such... And I was also, like... I I mentioned this, like, I think in the interview episode or one of our other episodes. Like, I kind of liked what I liked in comics and didn't have the room or bandwidth or want to explore. And Superman was, like, you know he was always the opposite of Batman. And since I was a big Batman guy for so long, I was like against Superman and didn't really appreciate him. But, you know, as I got older and, and more mature and and had, you know, uh, moved, moved through life and had, had kids, I don't I don't know, just like a whole change. I really, I enjoy, I understand the character now and I enjoy the character, obviously, when he's well-written, like any character. So, you know, Superman is somebody, um, I don't have, he's not on my top of my list, like Joe and, and Richie, who has been on the show, but... Uh, I appreciate him in the pantheon, and I appreciate him as a character, and I, I appreciate stories stories with him. So, Superman's uh, someone to change my mind on.
1: So, I really appreciate you sharing that. But what I so what I want to sort of follow up on. Would you mind elaborating on? You just said, you know, now I now I understand him. So, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I find that really really interesting, and I feel like I can identify it. I bet Joe can identify with it. I bet Joe can too. But can you elaborate a little bit when you say what you mean when you say? um you know, I, I, I understand the character now and uh, it implies that you didn't before.
0: Well, I think, you know, when you're a, a teenager going into young adult, uh, you know, the twenties, like identifying with the more dark and brooding characters is, uh, is cooler. And maybe your mindset's like that, at least, at least maybe, maybe for the a male from where I was growing up or my background, like, it's like, you know, they're cooler, more intriguing, whatever. And you, and Superman's this boy scout who does the right thing. And he's just a good guy who's trying to make, he's trying to create harmony and balance. And, and he's he's always going to stand up for the person. And he he does things on the level and he's not, deep. He, like all these things that, you know, you're like Batman is cooler for, known for, Superman does not do. And I think, as I say, going through life, which is why Captain America is more, it's probably in line with why Captain America is I like, I'm ultimately a guy who likes the good guy. Like mm-hmm. I, I try to be a good guy in my life. So I understand the good guy. And, you know, as I've said many times, like the leader character, like, cyclops or leonardo from the ninja turtles like superman's up there they're they're good people they're they're not down in the darkness and and characters try to pull them down into that darkness and they don't they don't get tarnished by it and you know and that's kind of how you want to be in life Sort you know you kind of want to be a role model you kind of want to be someone that people can look up to you want to do the right thing for your neighbor and for the people around you. So I, I I understand that now, having been in the many communities I've been in through work and through life, that it that, that's the more of the role model of the person you want to be.
1: That's great. And I want to throw it over to you for a second, Joe, but I do have a quick question for you before you say what's on your mind, which is, I'm curious, do you feel as though you always understood Superman or do you feel like you understand him differently as you've gotten older and, and, and grown with him, Joe?
2: I feel like I, I've always understood him, but I, I realize how nuanced he really is. And I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've realized that uh, in recent years. And I heard something on, a, on a, uh, the other day on a, on a podcast, not a podcast, a, uh, a YouTube channel, that really got me to thinking about Superman
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: and um, you know, why he, he's kind of failed in the current DCEU. And it's not him failing. It's the people that write and direct. Sure. sure. Snyder. But the world changes around Superman. He's been around for 80 years. But he stays the same. He's mm-hmm. the constant. And that's not a bad thing. And I think that's what the people who create Superman material and, and content need to understand. Yes, James, he is the Boy Scout, and he must remain the Boy Scout. He's the beacon, as you said. He's the light that shines, and we all know that in Superman the movie, when um, uh, he completes his twelve-year journey with his father, so to speak, Jarell is sending him back to Earth, and there's all that Christ-like imagery. That's you know in the in the in the, uh, in the dialogue from Jarell, you know, my, I send my only son, the light of the world, to show them the way. So I'm not saying Superman is a, is a Christ-like figure, but he is this beacon of hope. And, and when, when the, um, the uh, people that make the content don't realize that and try to make him something he's not, they fail. And I think that's why Superman has failed in the current DCEU. I think he's succeeding presently, believe it or not, in the Arrowverse or on, oh, wow. or on the CW with Superman and Lois, because the showrunners there know exactly who Superman is. Uh-huh. So, yeah, uh, he, he's changed. He's become, for me, he's become, um, he started out as a big brother, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even a father figure, George Reeves, right? Yeah. I, I always saw George Reeves as a father figure. And then I guess in my 20s, uh, when Christopher Reeve came along, he was a big brother, right? Because okay. I, was, I was maybe a year or two younger than Christopher Reeve when he first started doing that, doing that role, a few years younger. Now, uh, I, 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 he's a companion. He's been a lifelong companion who's really, you know, helped to show me the way. You know, to do the right thing, to show me, uh, to teach me, to constantly remind me from right, right from wrong. And um, I love the character. And I, I, and, and I bristle when people say he's, he's boring or he's a Boy Scout. The way I bristle when people say baseball is boring. Uh-huh. So um, uh, I would just say that, uh, yeah, my, my appreciation for Superman has only grown over the decades. It's not waned. I, I would like to see him handled better in, in, in media right now. in i.e. the DC comics and the DCU, but that'll change, you know, uh, creators come and go. And, and, um, so that will change and hopefully it'll get better. But for right now, and you know, for all, for, since I was 10, even younger than that, probably seven or eight when I first saw the first episode of the, the adventures of Superman, um, uh, he's been my guide. Yeah. That's I, I also, thank you. Thank you I, both for sharing that. I really appreciate you it. You Sorry. Won't. Go ahead, James.
0: No, I just want to add to Joe, like you mentioned nuances, like the nuances of the character that maybe click, I can't remember where it's from, and they've probably done this in many books, but the concept that Superman can hear every problem or cry Mm -hmm. for help in the world, and he has to focus on the one that is the most troublesome when he Mm -hmm. would like to solve all of them that that connected like that made me get the character. And the other thing that like made me like really understand, I guess, and also being you know as you grow older and you're you know uh, you're in, have a family and you have a family of your own is that Superman is the job. When he comes home, he's he's Clark. He's right. like oh, that's yes. the job. Like as whereas Batman, Batman is the man. <laughs> like Bruce Wayne's the job. Um, so, you know, Superman, the the persona, the character, the the whole per- the the person he is out in the world is the job, and he just wants to be a regular guy and try not to feel responsible for the world. So I, that's, that's kind of how I, I really appreciated the character and, and really felt like, you know, he, that, that type of persona and that type of idea is really needed and, and represented in the superhero community. No, I think that's, could, the, could that's agree? A,
1: point. And it's a thing that they actually, they, I think they, they do a lot, you know, um, I can't remember where I read it either. Um, but I noticed that it's always true is that there are a lot of people who call Superman Cal Cal as in Cal L. Uh, Diana does it pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman never calls him Kal-El. No, always
2: calls, calls
1: him Clark. Him. Always, always, Clark. always. And one can argue that it's a manipulation to try and remind him, keep him grounded, blah, blah, blah. I mm-hmm. don't think that's true. I think that might be like something that's happening. But I think that what's always been true is that Bruce knows who Clark is because, because Clark doesn't keep any of it hidden. It's all out there. And he knows that this is the person who he is. He's Clark. He has always been Clark. He is always going to be Clark. Um, and I find that interesting too, in, even in Injustice, when, um, when Superman sort of ends up beyond redemption, he's still calling him Clark, even after yeah. all this time. So, uh, Joe, yeah, you I would me like to say something though.
2: Well, to, to double back on what James just said about um, Superman, that he can hear everything that's going on, or see, even see everything, there are two episodes of a show I adore, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, that crystallize the fact that Clark is the real guy and Superman is, is, is the disguise. It's the episode where they go back in time to save Superman from being killed as a baby by the time traveling tempest, and Clark tells Lois, uh, "Clark, uh, Superman is what I can do. Clark is who I am." I love that. I love that. That's one of the greatest quotes in any live action or any Superman material ever. And then there's an episode in the third season, a very silly episode. Things were getting a little crazy by the third season, getting too campy, where Red Kryptonite uh, exchanges uh, Superman's powers and puts him into Lois Lane. She becomes Ultra Woman. <laughs> And it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a funny episode, but there's a scene where she comes back and she's talking to Clark. And she goes, I understand you better now than I ever have. She starts crying. She goes, why? He goes, she goes, I was landing this plane somewhere and I heard cries for help and I couldn't get there fast enough. I can't help everyone. I understand what you go through every day. And that's a great nuance to understand the character of Superman, that he he's this godlike being. But even even so, he can't help everybody. Even if he wanted to, he just can't. Right. So uh, when you realize that and that into his character, you, you realize that this guy is very complex. He's very um, And if he's written properly, he's, he is the world's greatest superhero. And, and uh, uh, you know, again, I bristle when people say he's just a Boy Scout. Yeah. He's much, much more than that.
1: If you're just uh, if you're just joining us, this is our Superman episode featuring Joe. Yes. And fans <laughs> <and supporters>. uh- <laughs> yeah. Um well, that's good. I appreciate everything that you all are sharing about Superman and i and I can identify some of some somewhat with that James in terms of um I still find Superman most interesting when he's with other characters because the relationships are what interest me, me more than him um but definitely more of an appreciation for him now than when I was younger. so um so that was something you named Joe, you had your hand up. What was something you wanted to name as something you might have changed your mind on?
2: uh Babylon five.
1: Okay. uh I, yeah
2: at the beginning i i just thought i didn't get it and mr gross the original owner of the store owner john 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 gross we would go at it for well over a year b5 versus ds9 b5 versus ds9 and finally i gave in and i watched an episode i do not remember what what episode i'm sorry to say it was from the first season though and i said to myself no this is barely above an snl skit that's what i, thought. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't i just didn't get it yeah and um then store changes hands, right? Richie gets the store. James starts working in the store, and James and I started talking about B five one day. And he asked me if I what I thought about the show, and I said, mm, I don't, I don't just, I don't like it. And he said, well, well, you know, let's let's see. And he starts handing me weekly arc episodes of uh, season one and season two to get me caught up. And I remember I got so involved in it that Wednesday, new comic book day, I was rushing to the store after work not to only to get my new comics, but to get my latest video cassette, I'll tell you how long ago that was, <laughs> right? Of B five. I knew James was gonna provide me with. And all of a sudden I was just completely uh here's a George Costain's word, ensconced in this B five world. And I I loved it. You know, the, the, the non, the Minbari, the, the I just wow, this thing is this is blowing my mind. Uh-huh. And and I you know I, I got on board season three watching regularly at that point. And what B five taught me Started so entertaining the hell out of me. What I learned, what I'd gone it from B5 and obviously from JMS by extension, is that uh, I learned about story beats. I learned about story structure. And I learned about the definition of the hero's journey, uh-huh. uh, especially with John Sheridan, right? Uh-huh. And um, there was the walkabout that the doctor went, went on at one point. And there was this, the journey that uh, that Garibaldi took, the self to self journey. These characters were just amazingly rendered and, and beautifully written uh, by JMS and his, and his team. And um, I would go on and say that B5 surpassed DS9 and when we have John on on our, our, our podcast in the future, I will I will uh, there's another minute couple folks. I will I will apologize to John and say you're right. Uh, B, uh, B5 is a better show than DS9, it's and took, DS9 long time, so-
1: but he's going to feel quite vindicated, I'm sure yeah right it's it's only been 25 surprise. years.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, and, and, and let's not uh, and DS Nine is a fantastic show, especially the last four seasons. And uh, to put it in perspective, yes, my favorite sci-fi show we know is Star Trek: Next Generation. But if that's one, then B Five is one A. That's mm-hmm. how much I changed my mind on B Five.
0: Well, I'm I'm in like a similar boat with you because I, I was talking to Joe offline. Like I was re- reserved about B Five too, and I and John John Whittemore was the person getting me into it. So another John. Yeah, another John. Sorry, <laughs> it's John. <trying> to... <laughs> it's something about the something about the name yeah um and he would he would tell me about it from like season probably season two he was getting me to try watching and i just i felt the same way i just couldn't get into it. it it the visuals didn't appeal to me i think maybe we watched i think we sat down and watched maybe the gathering together i can't remember and i just couldn't oh, get into it a but great movie. but what i guess what changed my mind though is like i it was so joe i must have gotten it i i you must have gotten into it when they were in the fifth season because that's when i started getting into it because yeah T, uh, TB, uh, TNT. Primer, yes. I think T. N. C. And I think TNT. TNT picked it up. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I watched in the beginning, which is, I think I probably gave you the first yes, movie, the prequel movie, which was had the high production quality. They had already been doing it for four years and they knew how to write the show and the characters. And then I could watch, I watched in the beginning and then I started with the gathering, which is a big jump, but I was like, okay, I'll, I'll stay, I'll stay with it and then um and then yeah and i also watched season five in real time too which was kind of confusing but but Mm -hmm. i think i think what kind of bolstered the overall let's say not great effects and storytelling of getting through the first season was the fact that i got to see something in its full realization within the beginning Uh and then and then i also got to see the production quality difference from where you start in season one and also watching season five at the same time Mm -hmm. and then i'm like you joe like it's one of my top science fiction shows um yeah. But yeah, I was I was resistant in the beginning. I was persistent. Yes,
2: Resistance well, is mean, futile. I think.
0: <laughs>
1: <that>. <laughs> and no, I think that's great. And it sounds to me like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what it really came down to was you needed to be able to see the shape of the thing before you could appreciate the thing. Like yeah. while it was yeah. t- taking shape, right? yes. it was yeah. not. It was not striking where you needed it to strike because you didn't know what it was on, until you did. And when you knew what it was, then it was. It was, you know, it was a different story. The meal had to be cooked before you could actually appreciate what it was going to be.
0: Yes, that's good analogy, which is not fair to like any new thing. But for, for, for these things we're talking about today, I I would, I would say that's a theme through a, f- a few of the other things that I can think of too. Well, no, but um, I mean, I,
1: I think, you know, I, I fair or not, th- these are things that I think as an artist you, and as a creator, you need to think about. So, um, you know, James, when you're drawing, I don't know how disjointed your drawing is, but if you were to put... 17 and only 17 lines on a page depending on the order you put them in I might think it's terrible right like if you don't if they're not connected if they're in the right place their final positions and they're in the right place um you know I I I probably don't know what it is that you're creating if it's more complex right um and I feel the same way about uh writing or about acting is that sometimes we as creators we cut we, we think of this this amazing bit of dialogue or this amazing inspirational moment or this this um this amazing motivation or we think of these things but but we see the beauty because we know what it's going to become and for other people who are standing outside the process um it's not their fault that they can't see the sculpture inside the marble that we've only chipped right Um, so I don't, so fair or not, I think we have to understand as creators that people are not going to know what this is until it is fully formed. So like, I still enjoy the sixth sense as a movie. It's nothing brilliant, but like, if you're just watching the movie and then you leave out the twist at the end, then it's just a haunting, right? That's all it is. Right. Um, so if you, if you're watching the movie and let's say that's a movie that happens in parts. You may just go, okay, I mean, it's not bad, but it's just, it's a haunting. So what, right? Like, there's no mystery here to uncover. Um, it's not your fault that you can't see, you can't appreciate the thing until it, it takes its final shape. So um, so fair or not, I think you have to know what it is that you're, you're creating. Yet the, the creators of Carnival had to know, had to know that it was going to be a tough sell. Because no matter what the production value was on that show, It was, there are so many little moments and nuances that just don't make sense until you've watched both seasons of the series and you go, oh my God, that was so smart. Oh my God, of course, all the clues were here the whole time. But you can only see it once you've watched the whole thing. So I don't think there's anything wrong with creating that way. I just think that you have to temper your expectations. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense to me that both of you tried B5 and went, it's not for me, it's not doing it for me. And it wasn't until season five that it was really becoming fully formed and you were able to go back and go oh okay it's not that it's not for me it's that i didn't entirely know what it was and that's also not your fault i don't know that's my opinion
0: no no that's good i appreciate that yeah definitely appreciate it. so uh, chris so what's the throwback to you what's something else just in general that we're talking about today that you've changed your mind on sure
1: um i'm gonna start with a it's it's a movie that um that i think i've mentioned in the past and it's big fish tim burton's big fish um it was a movie that I saw when I was, when I was younger, I'm guessing middle school, maybe high school, but I think it was when I was in, at Weber and, um, and I considered myself a big Tim Burton fan between Batman, Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, um, so I, I thought and Edward Scissorhands, um, so I saw Big Fish and, uh, I just thought this doesn't feel like, I mean, yeah, it's weird, like Burton, but I don't, I don't, I couldn't see the value in it other than it, it kind of looked cool, but I didn't. I didn't really, the, the storytelling versus the reality, I didn't quite follow. And like, it just didn't click with me. Um, and then it wasn't until years later, uh, it was the year Eli was born. So 2017, um, that my friend Marie, or actually it must've been the year after, so 2018 one, you know, before he was one year old, my friend Marie texts me and she says, Hey, do you want to cry today? And I was like, Oh, great. What do you got for me? <laughs> and Uh, and she tells me to listen to this song called "Fight the Dragons" in the musical Big Fish because they made a, a stage musical of it. And uh, it's this guy who's singing to his son about, you know, he goes out and, and he's not really built for home life, but every time he goes out, he collects all these stories, and all he can think about is bringing them home to his son. And uh, you know, he says, you know, one, you know, these are all the things I've done, and I, you know, I don't know if you know, but I'll, 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 I want to know what you think of my, my stories and my exploits, and uh, and I'm hoping that one day. You know, and he says, you know, I'm going to go out and fight the dragons. That's the thing. That's where the story comes from, right? I'm I'm going out and fighting the dragons. Um, And those are the stories I'm going to come home with and and storm the castle. And then he says, you know, one day I pray you'll come out and you'll say, you know, let's fight the dragons and let's storm the castle like you and me together. And uh, and then he he ends it by saying, you know, I do the best that I can, uh, but you're going to get older. And uh, and at some point, I'm not going to be able to fight the dragons anymore. And I want you to do that. For your son. And uh in the song it's and in the show it's it's more about the stories that are collected and then told and and the fun that's shared in those stories and the love that's shared in those stories. But for me I I, I take that way, yes, because stories are important to me. But um but there was an, also an element of of I want to do good in this world. And um you know by the time Eli was born I was several years into running my theater company which is focused on social justice. The cornerstone of it has been domestic and sexual violence prevention and advocacy. Um, I've done anti-human trafficking work, anti-racism. I've done, uh, you know, tried to raise awareness of, of mental health issues. So to me, those are all the dragons that scare me about raising a son in this world. And, um, and I want to keep fighting those dragons. And I hope that when he gets older, you know, he will want to fight them too in his own way. Not, not doing what I do, but, but fight the dragons in his own way. Uh, so much so that, and and my friend Maria was right. I, I cried, cried, listened to the song again, cried again, like for a while, couldn't get through that song, wanted to learn the lyrics, couldn't get through the song without crying. Um, but that ended up being a Father's Day gift from my wife. That's one of my one of my tattoos is uh, is little little silhouettes of me and my son in front of the dragon in front of this dragon on a castle with with some of the lyrics. And so I went back and I watched the movie and it all made sense. The entire thing—it's beautiful. It's just beautiful, and the whole damn thing suddenly just clicked into place. And um, and I know this won't be the case for everybody, but what, but for me, it took it took fatherhood for it to all suddenly click, and for me to understand not just how difficult it is for the son, but how difficult it is for the father, and um, and and the nuance, and the beauty, and the joy in the movie, but also the sorrow, um, and and. It it just it just creates this gorgeous this gorgeous tapestry of a story. So for me, I really came around on Big Fish, and it was just it was the illumination of fatherhood that got me there.
2: That's Um, beautiful, Chris. That's that's beautiful, beautiful.
0: That's that's very very beautiful, Chris. I I love love the whole thing and. I have to go back and watch that movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so I, may, I have to watch it maybe I've with different eyes it. now too. The, I have to watch it now.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, you
1: know, the visual elements <clears throat> I I appreciated when I was younger. I thought they I thought they were cool. I thought they looked nice, and I thought it was weird, like Burton. But um, but you know, I didn't I didn't appreciate and I didn't really understand. Not just didn't appreciate, but didn't understand the the gravity and the power of. Of why this man would it would be so important to tell stories to his son, and why his son is upset because he thinks his dad is lying to him. You know, he 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 sees it as lies. He doesn't see it as love. He doesn't see it as stories. And uh, and there's room for both both perspectives in there. And um, and I think the, mutant, the movie handles that handles that beautifully. And the reconciliation that they come to at the end, especially because the son is now on the verge of of becoming a father himself. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really something. It's really something. So yes, I'd advocate going back and watching it. And like I said, said, it also just hits, it hits, uh, it hits very close to home for me on a couple of different levels. Um, and I'm sure that most, if not all of them were intended, but, uh, but yeah, it just, it just hits much differently now. So in this case, um, what really turned me around on it was age and fatherhood and, uh, you know, there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do about either of those things until you get older or become a parent. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, that's not the case for my other choices. My other choices come from a different place, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I am on big fishing and, and, and uh, I'm a, I'm a big advocate on it.
0: No, that's great. That's great, Chris. <laughs> and it's beautiful and poignant. So it's perfect. Yes, very much so. Um, Thank you. so Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to follow up Chris. <laughs> and say like, Okay. It, what else? Uh, you got in terms of, like, I'm going to, I'm like,
2: going to shock the both of you. I think I'll tell you, just change all, all fair when We're getting started. Uh, my next thing is music. And an appreciation for a, uh, an era of music from the 1970s, are you ready, guys? Yeah, I like disco. I like okay. I hated it. That's okay. I hated it when I was a young man back in the 70s. I didn't get it. I wasn't a club guy. Uh, I had my my younger cousin was into it. That's where he met his his uh, his future wife, mm-hmm. and um, from that I got one of my one of my four godsons. So, so thanks for that. Thank you that. Uh-huh. But. Uh, you know, um, I, I didn't. You know, I just didn't like it. I thought it was, um, I don't know, uh, shallow. But um, as the years went on, I really appreciated the music for the, for the. Not only that, it's great dance music. It really is great dance music. But there are some great stories and great lyrics in some of these in some of these these songs. And um, artists like the Bee Gees, and Donna Summer, and Tavares, uh, and Earth Wind and Fire, and Casey the Sunshine Bandy. But I. I listen to this stuff at, on a regular basis, and um, as a matter of fact, there's two disco songs that are, that are kind of my go-to's when I'm feeling kind of blue. And if I, you know, if I can't find something, a uh, Superman film or, or, or DVD or something like that, uh, I, I will turn, change to music. Change to music, turn to music, I should say. And um, one is uh, uh, "More Than a Woman" by by uh, and the other one is one of my favorite songs of all time by The Spinners Working My Way Back to You. It's the disco version of a, a song that the, the uh, Four Seasons did uh, a decade earlier. And I defy anybody not to get up and want to dance when they're listening to that song. It makes you want to dance. You would get out of a sickbed and want to dance to this song. It's so good. So it's just, just this light thing that um, that I changed my mind on. Um, and I love music. I was telling this James this off air. I grew up with it in Brooklyn in the 60s and I grew up with the sound of Motown. I, I, I adore Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, Smokey Roberts, and maybe the greatest vocalist in the history of popular music. So, and of course, Michael Jackson and the, the entire British invasion, the Jersey sound. I love all this music, but um, recently within the last, I guess, five or six years, disco has now entered into that, uh, into that uh, stable of my, of, uh, uh, my favorite uh, part of my favorite music. So, yeah. I'm definitely surprised. But let me ask
1: you, how did you, how did you sort of discover that about disco? Because it's not like you were, it's not like you were choosing not to, not to listen to it and it suddenly came back in style and you couldn't avoid it. So like, so out of curiosity, you know, how did you? I
2: think I know why, <laughs> because I mean, I started back with Barnes & Noble in um, 2012 uh-huh. and I was the manager at, at Vaughan College of Aeronautics. The kids always had their music on, which was current music. Yeah, and um, not a fun, not a fan. So I said, you know what? I, I'm the boss. I can change the radio once in a while, or uh, or just uh, go to YouTube and play something over the computer. And um, I, I started. I was looking. I was looking around for something with a beat, something that was you know you could dance to, something that was upbeat, had great lyrics. And uh, I discovered working my way back to you by the, the then the Detroit Spinners. That's what they were called, the, Detro- right, the Detroit right. Spinners. And the kids heard this, and one of them said, "Wow, that's that's pretty." Um, awesome dance music. I said, damn sure it is. And, uh, so I just started playing more and more of it. And then, you know, I just as I got home and put some music on went to YouTube and you know what? I'm going to revisit the stuff I didn't like back in the seventies and, and see if I can get a garner appreciation for it. And sure enough, I did. So cool. I, I might've been a little bit of, um, I'll show these young whippersnappers of, uh, what the <laughs> music was like back in the day, but it showed me too. And, um, yeah I mean um I, I love music and again, uh hey, I forgot to mention Sinatra and Elvis, so let's put them in there too mm-hmm. uh you know but uh i will I will just go to YouTube or Spotify or go to my t v and hey Alexa, just play Motown for me, and she comes up with you know a nice selection
1: so oh, that, that, no that's great i just yeah. and, and you're right, I absolutely never would have that never would have been on my mind as like. This is a thing Joe will come up with, but, um, (laughs) you know, I love, I love how you got there. Um, I mean, I can appreciate to, to, uh, I haven't like gotten into it, gotten into it, but I will say that, uh, that a friend of mine from high school that I hadn't been in touch with for years. And unfortunately I haven't been with since, but she, she is part of a band Uh, band is doing quite well. And it was coming to St. Louis and I can't remember how I found out about it, but I did. And I went to go see the show and they, they do power funk. The name is the name of the band is turquoise T U R K. U A Z. And, okay. uh, and I had, you know, I had listened to some funk, but I wasn't like into it, into it. And I never heard a power funk. I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure. But obviously I'm going to support a friend kind of thing. And I was, I was loving it. I had a great time at this concert, uh, at this, you you know, this thing. And, um, so I can appreciate the idea of, of like going back and, and, Oh, it turns out you actually do like this thing or you like it now. So I, no, that's great. I'm glad you, I'm glad you discovered that Joe. That's great.
2: Thank you. I, I saw Diana Ross and the Supremes live uh, at the RKO Alden Theater wow. on Jamaica Avenue, 168th Street in Jamaica, Queens in 1968. I begged, I pleaded, I did everything I could and, to get my parents to take me. Of course, they wouldn't. But my brother, my older brother, my cousin Christine and my dad did get to get tickets for us. And we went to see them and my older brother and my cousin Christina little go with us took me to see that. And, and there was, let's see, uh, 16, uh, 12 or 13 year old Joe, just like, and I, I fell in love with Diana Ross that day. and <laughs> It's been a lifelong <laughs> love affair. Uh, uh, so yeah.
1: No, I think uh, that's, I think that's, that's great. And it's funny because some of my music, like I, some of my music taste actually does, uh, does veer that way, but mostly from watching, <laughs> mostly from watching shows like Looney Tunes and Tiny Tunes where they play <laughs> that music, you know? Yeah. And they'd introduce those artists. And um, and so sometimes it's the vehicle. You know, sometimes it's the vehicle that gets you there.
0: Yeah. What about well, you, you, Just you got us next? A... That was a great just jo- show. Yeah, that is. If you're joining Thank us now, this is a sneak peek at our, peek, peek at our music episode that's upcoming. Yes. So, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. We're,
2: we're going to get to that, folks. We're definitely <laughs> going to get to that. So, um,
0: yeah, I will. Uh, next, another one on my list is um, Doctor Who. Uh, mm, when I was mentioning character- that at some point, yeah. Yeah, my mom would watch it on BBC back when I was like in the eighties. Like this was like the Tom Baker Doctor Who, and I was just like, could we change the channel? Could we like watch? (laughs) We we watch Thundercats or He Man or Spider Man's Amazing Friends or go real ghost, anything? But you know, I just wasn't into it. And I even tried when they tried to reboot it. I think in the nineties, like Mm -hmm. uh, Fox tried to like redo it. Oh, okay, I I know that. Yeah, It was only like a pilot, a two, it was a two hour movie that was supposed to be a backdoor pilot for like them relaunching the series, and they, I guess, they decided not to because ah. they just got the movie. Um, it was okay, and then, um, when did Russell T Davies take, take over? I forget. Well, when they he rebooted it, is when I got back into it, and I got I, and I kind of like Doctor Who. I'm sure both of you, I don't know how much you're into it, but. Like, growing up, especially since we kind of grew up, like, or Joe, well, Joe, you know, like, for and Doctor Who was, like, off the air. And But if you went mm-hmm. to science fiction conventions or comic book stores, there'd be something Doctor Who in the background. It's oh, like
2: always, always constantly.
0: A, a Dalek in the background, or, the you know, Tom Baker was probably the, the doctor they would always point to with the scarf and the hat. Mm-hmm. So, But he was always in the periphery of science fiction. So when they relaunched the series, I was like, I remember my mom watched this. And, you know, it's always in the periphery of science fiction, pop culture, so I'll watch it. And, and I got hooked. It was, again, like, they... Russell T Davies writing and the introduction of an introduction of a new doctor with like money to do the special effects that they probably wanted to do back in the day really got me into the show. And, um, you know, David Tennant, when he took over as the, as the new doctor, after, after Christopher Eccleston and the second season of the relaunch, um, I really made me fall, fall in love with the character. Cause it was a, it's a science fiction show about time travel and it's, you know, I love Star Trek, love Star Wars, obviously, but the Doctor, at least David Tennant's run, he he was there to introduce you to the universe and have fun, no matter how much um, peril the universe was in or the world was in or the yeah. characters were in. He was there to show you how fascinating and interesting and, and fun the universe could be. And then I I really got hooked on the show and and the character, you know, I, I love the fact that the character can keep changing. And the show challenges you to like, we're going to, this is part of the show. So you got to get used to it. Um, you know, and you always like everything we say, like, oh, I'm not going to like the new guy, but you end up do. or recently the new, new, new girl in the role. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I love the show, but it, I, I really stuck on it for a long time just because I guess of, of again, not seeing for it, for the whole picture that it, that it could be, or, or the picture it could be in the hands of, of a writer um, who could really do some meaty stuff with the material. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, let's let's get another one out of you, or from you.
1: Sure. Uh, so, for me, I've already mentioned The Expanse. Uh, I'm not going to get into more of that, because there will be so many more episodes for me to talk about that. Um, and I also already started here. There's more, but I'll leave it for now. Uh, big fish. Um, so, I will say that the next two things that I'll think of, um, between the two of them, I, I can't tell you which one I was less interested in. It was probably Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um wow. So, so many people liked Avatar: The Last Airbender, much like you, James. I was aware of it being in the zeitgeist. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I just, I didn't know what what it was. I didn't really know anything about it, and uh, and I had heard, you know, I'd seen some memes, and and I had some sort of vague idea, um, but that was, but that was it. I, I okay, they use elemental magic. And I didn't even think it would be bad or anything. It's not like I thought, oh, that looks dumb. It just, it just wasn't interesting enough because I really do parcel out my television time much more so than when I was younger. When I was younger, whatever I'll watch whatever because you know why not. Um, but as I've gotten older, that's just not that's not the case anymore. I, I I hesitate to say that I vet things before I watch them, but I am I, I no longer feel the need to. Oh, I started this now I have to finish it. More often than not, I you know I could be 100 pages into a book and go, nah, I'm done. Maybe it gets better, but you didn't get me in the hundred first hundred pages, so I'm I'm done. And uh, I think I just sort of got over the idea of of missing out on something because there I could spend my entire life watching television. I have I have a friend who, um, man, his his knowledge about television and film is encyclopedic. Like you, there's literally nothing you can get past this guy. He has seen all sorts of, he dives into genres at the drop of a hat, whether it's film noir or, or Westerns, Um, you know, he, he knows the genres. He, he does like, uh, he does uh, Oscar watches every year. He watches like foreign films. He watches, he's watched all the greats. Um, And there's still stuff that he hasn't seen. And there was stuff he will die having not seen. So once I sort of came to that realization of like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to worry about missing out on stuff. I, I, anyway i say all of that because it was during the pandemic that i thought i think it was maybe it was before the pandemic but i thought you know what i'll finally try giving avatar a look because why not um and i kind of started watching it and i was like okay it's kind of fun it's kind of goofy it's all right i like the animation it's it's interesting this world that they've built um but then I and I can't even tell you why I kept watching. I just I just did. I think I just really wanted to give it a good chance, a good go before I before I quit on it. Um, but then they start introducing the characters' history, the history of what the Avatar means, and and we want to know why Aang was missing for so long, and Appa the the air bison. He, he's awesome. Uh, love him and and the different like co- the different hybrids he came up with. But you know who really I think really got me to stick it was three characters um and one was uncle iroh uncle iroh is is follow along following along his nephew who's sort of on this doomed mission to find ang um to finally put an end to all the to, to put an end to the avatar to finish the last airbender um and basically secure the fire nation's victory uh all in the name of of pleasing his father and, uh, his uncle Iroh is along for it and has faith in him and is trying to support him and has sort of a gentle touch. And he's just, he's just this great, loving, lovable character that I just, I just love. I just, I, so, so hearing, um, and I, I can't remember who it was that, dud uh, did the, uh, the voice, um, offhand. Um, I know it's going to be, uh, Paul Sun-Hyung Lee uh coming up but i think it was it was i'm just looking it up it was mako uh who also played uh, a coup from samurai jack and he just he has and um, he had unfortunately he, he passed away uh god 10 years ago something like that now but um but really really just a lovely voice and a lovely way of, of approaching um approaching uh problems and situations and really enjoyed him and then the other was um it's two characters as much as I enjoy Aang it's Katara and Sokka the siblings who end up journeying with Aang all this time and it's it's Sokka has some of that like and I just wasn't expecting it I guess but he has some of this like toxic masculinity that he periodically visits on his sister Katara who immediately puts him in his place lovingly but like firmly and, and no holds barred puts him in his place. And I get to watch the interplay between these two characters, which I was not expecting at all. And I just fell in love with it. Like it spoke to not only my sensibilities, but the idea that this was, this was, you know, quote more than a cartoon. And that's not, not a dig at cartoons. I I love my cartoons. Some of my favorite stories come from cartoons, but, um, but a lot of them are also, you know, the people who make them treat them as, as it's basically, Candy for kids with no nutrients. It's basically we can use excuse me use them to sell toys. Um, but seeing that relationship and then watching those characters grow, like I really enjoyed it. And so the more I watched Avatar: The Last Airbender, the more connected I felt to the characters. The more I enjoyed the action, the storytelling. But the way these characters grew was was just wonderful. Um, and as they explored the explored the world and and built up to that final. That final attempt at overthrowing the Fire Nation, um, not to eliminate the Fire Nation, but to restore balance, which is also, I think, unique when you're talking about quote bad guys. Um, there was never, there was never any talk of eliminating the Fire Nation, and uh, and that's the other thing too that I love about it is that Aang, as an Airbender, because of his his very Buddhist outlook on life, he doesn't want to hurt people, so it is difficult for him to learn how to bend other elements, especially fire, not just because it's diametrically well and it isn't it isn't even diametrically opposed to him. That's usually what a, what an avatar has the most trouble learning is the element diametrically opposed to his own but um, he has trouble with fire because he only sees it as violence. And so you know having to learn that fire can help heal and can help create and that it, it, it is very volatile and it can destroy but that need not be its only use and its only application. Um, there's just so much within the show that just very much fills my fills my heart. So uh, the reason I didn't want to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender was because so many people talked about how good it was. So it was just me being contrary and not not knowing yeah. what I'd be missing out on. Um, so what turned me around on it, honestly, was just was just watching it with an open mind. Uh, I didn't have anybody harassing me to watch it. I think if I had, I don't know that I would have come around on it. But um, but it was it was just finally getting around to watching it with, with no expectation. No, that's great,
0: Chris. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's tough, Chris. I, I just started watching it by the way. Oh, oh good. good. I'm, I'm, I'm through, just a handful of episodes in. So um, now you just uh, spoke of it, Chris spoke about it. I'm even more psyched to uh, continue watching it now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's got, it's got, it just, it has a stellar, stellar voice cast. Um mm-hmm. But man, they really they do a they do a great job of of rounding out characters and um and I'm not gonna spoil anything for you, Joe, obviously, but Thank there's you. one character who who every time you think this character has quote figured it out, they take a step backward. And not just one step backward, but four, and they do it intentionally. Like they they self-sabotage. And they do that not once, but a couple of times. And there are a lot of stories where you think. Okay, you know what? Like you made your choice. You don't get that. You don't get redemption now. That's how I felt about Ben Solo, uh, Kylo Ren, in the the Star Wars sequel. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he had two opportunities to redeem himself, and in Last Jedi, and I love the choice, but in Last Jedi, he very firmly makes his choice, and it's like, okay, there shouldn't be any turning back after that. And then it all gets reversed in Rise of Skywalker, and that made me really angry because I thought it undermined the character, and I didn't think it was right for the character either. Um, it feels very different in Avatar when it's done because uh, it's just the way it's handled makes me, it makes me believe that it's growth and not just a plot device each time, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, Joe, I look forward to hearing your, your thoughts on it as you watch the show.
2: Well, I will, I will continue watching. I will, I will send you my thoughts, definitely.
0: Um, what do we think? So one Joe, one think- last round for each of us? Or yeah. did Joe? Did you? Would did Joe do three? I think.
2: No, you, this would be my third. Oh, third. So then, three, maybe, yeah, please.
0: Maybe should we should do Joe's third, and then maybe do a another version of this down the road. Uh, that works for or, me. Because yeah. I got, I got a few, I got more that we, uh, like, I have enough to make another episode. I don't know about you guys. Oh, good. This, but, good. No, no, no. That's, my next, that's good.
2: My next okay. one here speaks to you. Uh, we'll speak to you as an artist, James. So I want to get oh. your, your definitely your thoughts about this. Okay. So, um, being a longtime comic book fan, aficionado, a lifer since 1966. Uh, as a kid, uh, there were certain artists I liked at first when I was picking up comic books. Um, and I didn't realize why I liked them, but the guy I liked the most was a guy like a Kurt Swan. And I know today that's because he had a very clean line. It was a very illustrated form of artwork. But there were artists that I that I would avoid. I wouldn't pick up books that had, and, and, and you're going to be surprised when you hear this. Um, I did not like Steve Ditko. Uh, I didn't start reading Spider-Man until uh, John Romita Sr. took over. I did not like Joe Kubert. Ah, what, what, what an idiot, right? Um, I did not like Ross Andrew, and I've got a Wonder Woman omnibus I want to speak about and a recommendation sitting on my table right now. Uh, Ross Andrew, and Mike Esposito, and, and um, Alex Toth. Um, these artists, I, I had to... Get older, I had to. Not, I didn't study a lot, but you get to high school, you become an adolescent. You you start taking classes other than just reading and writing and arithmetic back in the day, and um, there was some art classes at uh, Bishop Auckland, thank God. And I started. I got a. I attained the uh, uh, an appreciation for these different art styles, and these comic book artists, and uh, like for instance, Alex Toth. I hope I pronounce this word correctly. Uh, he drew in a style that calls upon chiaroscuro you know the distribution of light and shade in the picture right yep yep chiaroscuro thank you I, mm-hmm. I, that was a tough one for me by the way my brooklyn accent but <laughs> yeah. when you go back and look go back and look at some of alex Tote's work um he did a comic called rex the wonder dog in the 50s but then later on he did that was more uh traditional style but then later on he starts really getting into that light and shadow his construction his panels his his layouts are literally carved out of light and shadow and then put on the page. It's remarkable to look at. It's, it's so simple. And it's, in, in, in the, in its application yet. So, you know, mind blowing in, in the beauty of, uh, of the printed page. So, and the same thing with Steve Ditko, how, you know, I just, you go back and look at Steve Ditko's um, run on Spider-Man and you, Joe, how, what were you thinking? Well, Joe was only 10 or 11 years old. He didn't know any better. And, um, Joe Kubert, one of my favorite all-time artists, writers, comic creators of all time. I mean, I've got a book, I've got a couple of books about Joe Kubert. Man, was a remarkable man. Set up the Kubert School, obviously taught many his own uh, sons, but many others went through that school. And his, his style is just absolutely amazing. It's, it's at times it looks unfinished, but it's not. It, it has this almost impressionistic look to it at times, his, his artwork. And you, it just draws you in because you want to be in that scene. You want to be in that panel with, whether it's Sergeant Rock or it's Hawkman or whomever. Uh, you just feel like you're part of that world because you have to like, you know, look for it and and and, and, and look around you and, and take it all in. It's not just all thrown at you at once like some of, like some of the others do. Like like Kirby did, although Kirby is a great, you know, the master of a sequential art, I think. But Kirby stuff was in your face. Kubert, no um Ditko uh no Alex Toth definitely not and just Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito they were a team forever um that I it's hard to explain it's cartoony style yes it's minimalistic yes but at the same time it's very dynamic he the master of foreshortening and, and, and what and whatnot in, in artwork and his his Wonder Woman his Metal Men his uh other characters that he did his, his war comics his uh the, the war of the time forgot, with all the um, the G- the GI the GIs fighting pterodactyls and dinosaurs, that stuff literally leaps off the page. So yeah, I, I I wasn't until I was an adolescent or a young adult that I learned to appreciate these great artists. So I just wanted to get that. You know, get that I think, set.
0: I mean, I think it takes time to appreciate like art like that, and just an art in general, depending on what your sensibility are. I mean, just going to yeah. like having been through art school, I will I will say that I. I appreciate what abstract art is. I just personally don't like like, like it aesthetically. Like uh, I, I just, you know, I understand what they're trying to do with abstract art. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, it's what... just it's not what I want to not the medium I wanna work in. And it's also not something that I would hang on the wall or implement or, or really wanna view in a museum, but I understand what the artist is trying to convey and right. what goes into it. No, and that uh, that
1: is that's that's super important, right? Is it doesn't some art that's the thing about art is that you know, there is some art that is objectively good and objectively bad, but you have to understand the rules and the framework in which it was created. So you can argue that a movie is shot objectively badly, right? Um, mm-hmm. You could argue that music, a piece of music, is objectively bad because it's discordant and not not for a reason. But then you start getting into the gray areas. You also start getting into those areas of like, I don't like this thing because I don't like this thing, but I can appreciate how it's made. It's, it's something that came up uh, again, going back to food. Um, I can't remember where I've read this, but it was it was taking the approach to not to, I don't, oh, oh gosh. Okay, so let me see if I get this right. Because it, if I recall, it was it was with regards to how a different, in a different language, you basically say, I don't like this food. But instead of saying, I don't like this food, because there's an implication that it's not good uh in that language what you're actually saying the phrase is I don't know how to eat this. And the reason you're saying that is because the flaw is not with the food, but the flaw is with you. Yeah. And that is and, and I mm. really like that approach because, you know, um one of the things that was very important for me and Christina was that that growing up, Eli be exposed to a lot of different foods. So I don't want him turning his if he doesn't enjoy a food, that is totally cool. I don't want him turning his nose up at food because It comes from another country because it's unfamiliar because it's, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Um, one of the first foods that he ever, like solid foods that he ever ate in a restaurant was Ethiopian food. And he, again, he enjoyed it. It was a little spicy, but he liked it. Um, he, he really likes his, um, he really likes his Indian food, loves his Indian food. When he asks for spicy chicken and rice, he's asking for Indian food. Um, you know, so I, I like the idea of instead of saying, I don't like that, or it's not good. It's I don't know how to eat this. I don't know how to consume it. And so it, it brings the folks back to you and, and back to the food. And I feel the same way about how we consume art. You know, I think there is such a thing as bad writing, I'm not going to say it's all, all subjective, because I don't believe that to be true. I do think that there's some art that is objectively good, and objectively bad. There's some things that are you know, ahead of their time. And the reason they're called that is because they are objectively good, but the taste of the time does not appreciate it. And that's the thing that happens. Um, but like you said, James, you know, it's, it's the difference between saying that's bad art versus saying, you know, I don't know how to consume this art in a way that maybe makes me happy or that satisfies me. And I can absolutely appreciate that, appreciate that about different art styles. And Joe, I've had similar experiences where uh, I talked about this, not on, not on the page, but on the screen with them. Um, with Clone Wars, I hmm. did not watch Clone mm-hmm. Wars for the longest time because I hated the animation so much. It was to me, it was so jarring that I couldn't focus on the the stories they were trying to tell. So, um, so it makes it what what you're describing to me totally makes sense, and I appreciate you sharing it. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, as you've gotten older, you've had a journey um, that that you know your taste in art has evolved. That's all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I took I took. Cl- I took- I took a uh, class in Queens College back in the day uh, in uh, in impressionistic art. And um, I understand where Picasso was coming from and the whole cubistic style, but I still don't like it, but I got an appreciation for impressionism. And um, I've I've gone to the the Met numerous times uh, uh, when they've had, uh, uh, you know, you know, Monet exhibits because I've, I've, I love Monet. I mean, impressionism is, 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 is it's, 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 you really, when you look at these, these paintings and it's capturing a moment in time and you can put yourself there. And that's, you know, and that's how it speaks to me. That's how it speaks to us all differently, obviously. But uh, yeah, I mean, you have to learn to appreciate these things. You have to learn maybe where the, the movement was coming from, so just to say, oh, it's terrible, and you put it down. Well, you know, yeah, artist subjective, but that's not really a, an adult way of looking at things, or you know, even fair. Uh, you 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 study it, you you uh, you look at it, you try to and you try to uh, make a connection with it. You either do, or you don't. But um, uh, for me, I made a connection with uh, Monet and Manet and Degas and artists like that who just love their work. And obviously, I made a connection with uh, Ditko and Toth and Kubert and, and Ross Angeles along with uh, Kirby and Wally Wood and and Kurt Swan and all those other great uh, illustrators back in the day. So
0: yeah, it, it takes it takes time. I mean, you it know, does, like yes. it, you know, I, I like it took me a while because like when I first really started getting the comic books and this and wanted to be, you know, doing more illustrations and drawing, my my, my influences was like you know Todd McFarlane, Greg Capullo, and Jim Lee. So I was like this highly detailed, you know, lots of, you know, lines and and stuff like that. But uh, I also now, especially trying to draw in the style, the simplicity of uh, of a Batman animated style or an Alex Toth piece of artwork mm-hmm. is really beautiful in terms of how much they convey in so little. Right. And and to be perfectly honest, it's really hard to draw. Like it's really hard to draw. Like you think if you look at a picture of the animated series Joker and like I can it can draw that. It's like it's not that easy to draw the proportions, the the emo- those, those those, simpler drawings, I think, convey a lot more emotion than, like, you know, again, I love Jim Lee and I love McFarlane. They were, like, the the basis of my my artwork. But um, it's, it's a harder edge than the emotion and fluidity of, of a simpler drawing.
2: Um, yeah, and, and, and think about the opposite of, say, an Alex Toth would be the great George Perez, right? Right. There's, there's nothing simple about his work, and yet it's, it's as gorgeous and as beautiful and as moving as the, the minimal, minimalistic style of Alex Toth. So, again, it's... Art is, you know, it's it's. Know. I, mean, I would, I would, I would true, almost say,
0: but... I would say George Perez is almost a little looser than Jim Lee. Like he's not as oh, like, yeah. tight. So it's it's just. Again, we, this could be a whole episode in, in itself, and maybe yes. something we'll touch on in the future. But like it, the what you're trying to do in art is it's not like especially when you're drawing comic books, it's it may not be for realism, maybe for emotion mm-hmm. or the style of emotion of the character or the style of emotion of the artist is trying to convey with the script he's given. So a right. lot, lot goes into it that. Again, like you said, Joe, just like picking up this book, saying this art's terrible and putting it down is not, you know, it's, it's, it's something you can do, but maybe you should give it a little bit more or, you know, to understand what's going on in
2: it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so, great. so great. So I, I think we should do a, a, another one of these at some point. I think, I, I, yeah. like I said, I have more. Chris. I do, but I think you're right.
1: actually one behind us, James. So I think you need to share one yeah. more. Yeah, I it, out yeah
0: that's
2: right. You are, James. Yeah.
0: No, I think I did, I did Superman, Doctor Who, and Babylon 5. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess you yeah. did.
2: Yeah, did, huh. you just, you just, we forgot about Superman we spent enough time on it. that's true yeah <laughs> right we did a mini
0: we did a mini Superman episode yeah
2: <laughs> <So. laughs> we did right in the middle of this yeah um,
0: so I think we should do another one I think uh, we all got lists to keep going so we'll, oh, we'll yeah. do another hopefully the you the listening audience enjoys this so uh, but before we uh, we go we'll do our usual wrap-up of recommendations uh, so Chris do you have any recommendations for this week sure
1: I finally have gotten back to doing some reading so um so uh, if you're looking for something that's that's kind of fun and interesting. Uh, I read Cullen Bunn's Venomverse um, on on our uh, our non sponsor sponsor hoopla. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. Venom gets gets sucked away into this place where um, there are a lot of other venoms, and they're trying to defeat this threat called the Poisons that are basically consuming venoms. Um, you know, there was nothing brilliant about it, but it was. But I, one of the things I, I always liked the symbiotes. I like the symbiotes and the symbiote stories. There's a lot of dumb stuff that's been done with them, but um, but I think when I was younger, I always enjoyed Spider-Man, and so the the imagery of the different symbiotes from like separation anxiety, so not just Venom but Carnage too, and then those other symbiotes uh, always intrigued me. So in Venom Verse, getting to see you know the Venom symbiote on different characters from Marvel universes is interesting and entertaining. Uh, they try and introduce introduce a twist that I don't think works, but whatever. Um, and then I finally got around to reading Old Man Logan by Mark Miller.
0: And oh, uh, oh good book. Good it book is books. it yeah. is good.
1: There's there's some dark stuff in there and so oh, yeah. uh, well, yeah. I appreciate people don't necessarily want to get into it, but I will say that I didn't when we the the big reveal for me was was finding out what they did to break him. And it was not what I saw coming, and it was it was really really rough. But um, but yeah yeah, old man old man Logan. I enjoyed reading it; it's worth a read. Also on Hoopla. And uh, the next thing I'm going to be reading is I, I decided to step away from I'm, I'm I finished the first volume of Hellboy, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to go back to the second volume, but for now I'm going to take a quick step away from superheroes. I try and keep a a balance between things that sort of I go straight to and then appealed to me and then other things that I'm like, Oh, that's kind of interesting, but I don't know that I would necessarily pull it off the shelves while I was at mint again, things that are nice about hoopla. Um, this one is called daughter of her father's eyes by Mary Talbot and Brian Talbot. Um, and I'm just going to, because I'm still, I'm still very early into it, but I'm, but I'm intrigued by it. I'm just going to read the description they have on hoopla because there's a lot I don't understand here because I'm not a reader of James Joyce, um, but part her personal history, part biography Daughter of her father's eyes contrasts two coming-of-age narratives, that of Lucia, the daughter of James Joyce, and that of author Mary Talbot, daughter of the eminent Joycean scholar James S. Atherton. Social expectations and gender politics, thwarted ambitions and personal tragedy, are played out against two contrasting historical backgrounds, poignantly evoked by the atmospheric visual storytelling of award-winning graphic novel pioneer Brian Talbot. Produced through an intense collaboration, seldom seen between writers and artists, daughter of her father's eyes is smart, funny, and essential addition to the evolving genre of graphic memoir. And I just thought, I don't know anything about any of these people they've named, but the art is kind of appealing to me, and it's not something I would necessarily normally read. Um, And it just so happened to be the end of March, which meant that I needed to use up some of my borrows, and I was like good. This is something that I, I think it's good from time to time to read a thing for exactly the exactly the reason we we're doing an episode about things we changed our minds on, right? Um, I think it's good to every now and then read something that I wouldn't necessarily read otherwise. Um, one of my higher recommendations has been um, Sheets and Delicates. And uh, and that's not a thing I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know that I would have pulled that off the shelf, but seeing it on Hoopla, I go, whatever, it's just a free borrow. So I feel the same way about Daughter of Her of her father's eyes. Uh, so that's that's what I'm reading currently, and I'm also in the process of uh, rewatching Gravity Falls. So Very those nice. are my recommendations right now.
0: That's great. That's great. I'll have to. I'll take a look. To, I, I like to break away from the superhero genre too and check things out. So I'll take a look at uh, that as well. Uh, Joe, what do you what do you got for us this week?
2: Well, I, I do have something, but uh, uh, Chris just mentioned James Joyce. Uh, so, J- uh, Chris, if you want to read more James Joyce, I recommend Dubliners. It's a book of short stories, and within that uh, book of short stories, there's his classic story of the dead, which is really a novella, almost a novella. And um, just, I mean, troubled man, obviously, um, but um, an incredible uh, collection of stories, uh, Dubliners.
1: So, okay, I just i just wrote it down. Thanks for the suggestion. I okay. appreciate you.
2: You're welcome. Uh, now I'm going to uh, recommend uh, something that's a little more popular in pop culture, and that's uh, my Wonder Woman Silver Age Omnibus Number 1, 700 pages. Again, if you drop this on your foot, you wouldn't bowl for a year, so <laughs> don't drop it. Um, yeah, it's by Robert Kanigher, the writer who wrote Wonder Woman for probably 20 years, and from the mid-40s into the into the uh, uh, mid-60s or even beyond, and the great art team of Orsandro and Mike Esposito. It's silly, impossible to... Silver Age tales of the amazing Amazon and our constant companion love interest, Steve Trevor. It's Wonder Woman versus monsters, aliens, robots, mythological and magical imps and beasts, and all beautifully rendered by Andrew and Esposito. So I I, I don't know if it's on our unofficial sponsor or not, but uh, if it is, I highly recommend it. If you're looking for something just light and airy and, and to get an appreciation for the, the amazing simple, but still dynamic art style of Ross and Mike Esposito. So that's my, that's my recommendation.
0: Oh, that's great. John. Great. Thank you, Joe. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I am going to recommend uh, this, uh, the book once in future volume one by uh, Kieran Gillian and art by Dan Mora. And the story is about uh, this, this group of uh, cult people who tried to bring King Arthur back from the dead And this way this like triggers another group of people whose underground mission is to fight monsters and mythical creatures. Mm. And uh, and it's just it's the storyline is not complex, but the art is amazing by Dan Mora. And um, it's a fun story. It's a story in those same lines, but I guess less dark than The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So uh, it's interesting. But it's a, like a fun, fun adventure, and uh, a vol- I'm in the middle of Volume 2, or I just recently finished Volume 2. That kind of continues it from Arthurian Legend into Beowulf. I won't give any more away than that. So okay. um, very, very interesting book. And um, another recommendation is because I, I love biographies, and I, I really enjoy lis- um, comedy and comedians. So I just finished um, Bob Odenkirk's book, Comedy, Comedy, Comedy-Drama, and it's his biography of working in Second City, SNL, doing the doing Mr. Show, uh, writing in between, and then eventually finding his role on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. It's
2: okay. uh, no spoilers, please. I'm, I just finished season two of Breaking Bad. <laughs> okay, well, it's
0: a really it's a really great book. Uh, it's it's very interesting. He he, you know, I always love the process of any creative um, person. So hearing how he creates comedy and art and what he thinks about it and. Kind of how he got wrapped up in drama is, is very interesting. So I recommend that book to, hmm. to anyone who likes yeah. biographies and comedy, but also that. And the book I'm in the middle of, and Joe, I think you might enjoy this. I'm in the middle of listening to um, It's All About Me, The Biography of Mel Brooks. Wow. Oh. Uh, okay. And, oh, uh, well, written, written. I, I'm listening to it because Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks reads it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's it, gotta be great
0: it's great and uh and joe especially you'll love it because he the first four chapters are all about his gro- childhood in brooklyn okay uh, yeah, and uh enough. so uh so i i am assuming it's going to get better so i even though i'm not i'm only like five chapters in i'm i'm assuming it's going to keep going and be good so i'm recommending it as an early recommend before it that's great so. and i'm glad yeah. you mentioned
1: once in future because i actually scrolled past that but i didn't read the I didn't read the description, so I, I just I just downloaded it on on Hoopla. I was like, "All right, well i I
0: passed it over once, but if James says, then I'm gonna go ahead and read it." <laughs> so thanks. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a it's a fun read. It's not complex storytelling, but the art's beautiful, also. So sure. I,
2: I, I yeah, Dan Moore that. is a, an excellent. Art. He's the guy that um, did the first issue of uh, Batman, Superman, World's Finest, along with Mark Waid, the writer. Oh, okay, All that's right. right. I, yeah, that's beautiful, right. beautiful, beautiful artist, beautiful artwork. Yes. Great,
1: I appreciate both of you. Gave me. Wrote down recommendations from both of you. Looking forward to getting to getting some new stuff. Excellent.
2: Just read James Joyce on a sunny day. Don't read on a gloomy day.
1: That's, well, luckily <laughs> here in St. Louis, we're we're getting out of the gloomy weather here, so it's it's getting especially warmer, the, it's getting funnier, and uh, I'll I'll keep that in mind.
2: Especially the story of the dead.
0: <laughs> That's that sounds up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see. <laughs> Um, I thought I'd re- wrap up this episode by reading another rating and review that we okay. got. Um, this one is from speak hard, a friend of the show, Josh, and he writes one of the best things about your local comic shop was all the discussions and community that took place there. You may have gone for, you may have gone for your comics or collectibles, but it was the friends along the way that separated, that separated just another store from a special place to be. This podcast recreates the feelings of being in your local comic shop, bonding over common interests, sharing your passions, and arguing over minute, in a friendly way, of course. Um, (laughs) This podcast recreates the sense of community, enthusiasm, and passion for all things pop culture that you used to find in your local comic shop virtually. If you long for the days of a brick-and-mortar watering hole where you could nerd out about comics, (laughs) sci-fi, fantasy, sports, westerns, anything... Anything you can nerd out about, this is the podcast for you. Oh, that, so, was, that was really
1: nice. Thank yeah, you,
0: Josh. That was very nice. That was very nice, Josh. So thank you very much. So if you uh, if you heard that and uh, have the time, we would really appreciate you not just rating us, but writing a review for people to read, and we will read yours on air. So uh, you have you can have that to look forward to. You'll get a shout out if you write us a review, and it would go a long way to helping us. Um, spread our podcast out to the wider community of people looking for this type of podcast so we'd appreciate it and if you want to connect with us also outside of doing that we also have the Facebook group group page is secret origins and mint condition please join um, you can make posts you can make comments when this uh, on this episode when you see the post for this episode come out you can give us your thoughts or, or ideas of things that maybe you changed your mind about And as always, we appreciate you for listening, and we will talk to you next time.